really the takeaway that I would want any new writer to have is that that point where you're selling the book is such a small portion of the process. You really need to focus on enjoying the process of writing the book because that's going to be the bulk of your time. want to become a writer um, or, or did it come later in your life? Uh, what's your story? I grew up in a fairly working class family, so the idea of being a writer uh, was nowhere on the radar whatsoever. I certainly enjoyed reading. Uh, I uh, read a lot. I did a lot of role-playing games, which is kind of interactive storytelling. So... Uh, you know, it, it was really in my blood, but I'd never really considered the idea of being a writer. Probably the thing that that actually woke me up to the idea was uh, a freshman course in literature that I was required to take at college. Uh, there was a short story that I read uh, by Ray Bradbury called The Pedestrian, uh, which is uh, a precursor that he wrote before he wrote Fahrenheit 451. And uh, that story, actually, we were supposed to write a fictional response to it. And the professor for the course, after reading my work, invited me to essentially kind of skip the rest of the assignments and write fiction for the rest of that course. And, and that's really what got me started. Oh, that's great. And, uh, uh, and I also saw that you wrote, uh, you wrote short stories many of them uh, published by, by uh, Apex, which, which I think is great. Have you uh, ever uh, tried to write a novel before, or did you uh, stick with short stories and then the idea of a longer thing came, came to play? I actually, um, and I've got, I definitely have opinions about this for new writers out there. I started by writing a novel Uh, I wrote a 95,000-word science fiction novel, um, and then once I'd finished a draft of it, which was a mess, I set it aside, and I, I made one of the decisions that was probably one of the best decisions I could have made, uh, which was to uh, start going to writing conferences. Um, I didn't have a book to sell, uh, but I knew that one day I would, and I thought, I should learn how this works. And really at the point that I started going to writing conferences, uh, that's the point where really kind of I started working not in isolation, but working in the profession. And while that novel was sitting there having some time to breathe, I started writing short fiction. And because, you know, the, the benefit of writing a novel first is that I got about 100,000 words of really bad fiction out of my system. And so I was able to uh, write some short fiction for different magazines and anthologies. And uh, I was very lucky. I was actually able to publish uh, everything that I wrote. Um, and about the time that I started to run out of fiction, uh, short fiction to, uh, to shop, um, I started editing some short fiction anthologies. Uh, with Maurice Broadus, uh, the Dark Faith series, which was nominated for a Stoker Award, um, and also the Streets of Shadows anthology series. And so I kind of went from writing a novel in isolation 
into some short fiction and anthology work within the profession. And then at that point, I felt comfortable coming back and writing a novel. Let me just ask about the genre, because especially with writers who, who I know who, who got the bug in, in college, that's not something that necessarily comes naturally. Is it something that's rooted, as you said, in, in, in playing role-playing games, or, or is it something that you enjoy to read in general and figure that uh, it would be a nice way to, to express ideas? Or how, how, did, how, did, how did you get in contact with uh, or embedded in uh, science fiction? Well, I mean, genre fiction as a whole, I kind of grew up in love with it. Um, I very much grew up with Star Wars and Michael Crichton and Stephen King and Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut and all of these people that were kind of playing with uh, science fiction or horror or fantasy ideas. Um, so I loved that as a kid, but didn't really think about the idea of uh, being a writer. Uh, then when I went to college and made the decision to uh, to become a writer, um, I studied English, and so it was Shakespeare and Thoreau and you know Moby Dick and T Mark Twain and and so on, and so somewhere in there between kind of pop culture and genre and literature is is where I exist um, just naturally. It's a bit of an unusual kind of combination, but it's me. Yeah, as long as you, you do you, um, you can't go wrong. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I love the, the, the concept of uh, getting uh, the, the bad fiction out of your system early. How did that process, uh, how long did it take or how do you view your um, journey as a writer from from writing um, for yourself to uh, shopping it around to being an editor I'm a strong uh, proponent of uh, of writers doing editing um, for other writers it's a great way to make friends and uh, and experience um, <clears throat> the other side of, of, of things how long did that take you and how was that experience well, I mean, you know, I, one of the nice things about um, genre fiction, whether it's horror or science fiction or thrillers or fantasy, is that it's really a small community of people who do this work. And um, when I said before that one of the best things I could have done was actually show up at a writing conference and get to know people, it was because of that kind of question, you, you very quickly come to find that you know, there are a few outliers who simply sit down and can, from the very beginning, uh, draft professional fiction. For most people, you know, it, it's a much harder process. Um, I believe the average novel takes uh, a, a first-timer five years to complete. And uh, that's not five full-time years, but five five years kind of fumbling around in the dark, trying to figure out how it works, writing things that, that don't work, kind of breaking through, you know, and eventually getting, you know, a draft that you can work with. Uh, for me, uh, the science fiction novel that I wrote and didn't try and shop, that was a, probably about a five-year process. 
to, to realize that. Um, and I learned a lot from it. Uh, what I did shortly after finishing that book, which was really helpful, I said I kind of shifted over to short fiction. Uh, there was an online writers group that had been recommended to me called Critters. Uh, for anybody listening, if you want to look it up, it's critters.org. And what they are is they're just a community of professional, semi-pro, and novice writers. And it's free to join. Uh, but if you join for the, for the right to have your work looked at by other writers, you agree to look at uh, at least three short stories a month from other people and analyze them and give feedback. And, and that process of, you know, tearing stories apart to figure out how they work and what works for you and what doesn't and going back and forth with other writers to kind of hash out and improve stories, it, it's hugely valuable. Um, for me, I ended up uh, putting enough effort into the critiques and the work I was doing for other people that they very quickly, uh, and these were professional writers turned around and said, when are we going to see something from you? You know, when can we work with you and help you? Um, so, so that was very beneficial early. Um, for a new writer, uh, if you want something that's very easy to do, because it's difficult to be in a position, uh, you know, I was very lucky to, to be able to do pro-rate anthologies as an editor right off the bat. That's very unusual. Um, however, virtually every magazine out there, Apex, Clark's World, uh, Beneath Seathless Skies, they need slush readers. They need first readers who look at the large number of stories that come in, and you can't pick a better way to learn. Um, between the, uh, the three anthologies that I've co-edited, uh, I've probably read 5,000 stories. And reading that many stories, you really start to develop a sense of what works and what doesn't. And um, it really solidifies kind of your craft uh, in a way that's really beneficial. So I, I would agree with you absolutely. If you can edit, um, definitely go edit. Um, but if you, that opportunity is not available to you, find a magazine you like and offer to be a slush reader. That's awesome. I will ask about the book in, 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 in a little bit, but uh, skirting toward that, it was really funny because it's a personal thing for me that jumped out is the mention of the Catcher in the Rye, um, which uh, seems to be, it just it keeps haunting uh, me because I still haven't read it and it keeps popping up in, in, in everything really. And it was really funny and it made me um, it, it made me curious. Who do you uh, read for for entertainment? Who are there any uh, writers who inspired you, and are there any writers who you are just a fan of? Oh gosh, yeah, uh, there are a lot of writers. As far as um, you know, Catcher in the Rye being uh, in this book, um, I, I kind of like the idea. Uh, Catcher in the Rye is a very stylistic book. Um, the, the voice of the main character is really interesting, but it, there's nobody on this planet that's that 
incisive with the way they look at the world. And um, so uh, I I really liked the idea, having uh, read that book, of playing with a main character, uh, and the main character in this book is named Cyrus, who has moments that are kind of like Holden Caulfield in Catcher on the Rye. But they're just moments, because like a normal person, um, you're just not that witty. So um, I, I, I like the idea of playing with that. I also like playing with the fact that uh, most people are familiar with the title and the character, but have never read it to. So you're, you're very much in, in, in common company as far as that goes. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to play with that a little bit. As far as um, books that uh, I, authors that I really enjoy right now, um, there's a, uh, another writer writing kind of thrillers, uh, horror himself, uh, named Jeffrey Gerard that I really love. Um, Jeff Vandermeer right now is, uh, you know, I'm, he's, he's doing extremely well and I'm very excited. I love his stuff. Um, he's somebody, I don't write anything like him, but every time a book comes out, I want to kind of pull it out and really enjoy it. As far as influences, uh, I read uh, Stephen King's The Mist when I was 12 years old. Um, I was on vacation with my grandparents off the, the east coast of the United States, and I actually read the book uh, Trapped in the Middle of a Tropical Storm with No Power uh, by Flashlight. So that, that, you know, that was hugely influential to me. Um, same with uh, uh, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Um, Michael Crichton's books, uh, which kind of straddle, uh, I, I guess I would call it infotainment. You know, you're, you're learning something at the same time you're being told a story. Um, those, those were kind of huge for me. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, Kurt Vonnegut, I'm an Indiana native. Uh, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, as was Kurt. So, He's, he's kind of the patron literary saint of Indiana. And, uh, uh, and I just unabashedly love Ray Bradbury. Just before we get to the book, let's get to the book uh, in a, in a back, behind the scenes way. Um, how, how was the process of, of getting this uh, book written and then uh, set, uh, selling it and then getting it published. I, I know that uh, a lot of aspiring authors spend enormous amount of time instead of writing, of course. Um, uh, do I get an agent? Do I not get an agent? Uh, where do I shop it? Where, where, where do I not shop it? How, how did that process go for you? Well, actually, you know, it's kind of funny that you would say it that way because um, I, I just uh, had dinner with uh, my co-editor, on the anthologies, Maurice Broaddus, and we were talking about writers obsessing over those kind of market issues. Um, and we both kept coming back to the same thing, which was just do the writing and the rest will take care of itself. Um, there are a lot of writers who get really caught up in a lot of questions about market and process for selling long before they have anything to sell. Um, so, uh, I guess I could, I could kind of walk through the process of, you know, where this book came from a little bit and then the process of selling it. 
Um, but you know, the, really the takeaway that I would want any new writer to have is that that point where you're selling the book is such a small portion of the process and you really need to focus on enjoying the process of writing the book um, because that's going to be the bulk of your time. Uh, as far as Breaking the World goes, uh, it was a book that I, I didn't necessarily intend to write. Uh, it started with an NPR interview that I listened to on a late night uh, road trip. Uh, there was a forensic anthropologist named uh, Dr. Emily Craig, who um, uh, was a forensic anthropologist uh, in the aftermath of the Waco tragedy. So she was responsible for reconstructing bodies determining cause of death, that sort of thing. Um, and the interview so stuck with me that I wrote um, a character in a post-apocalyptic story uh, set in the future who had been a child uh, in the Branch Davidian Church during this standoff. Um, and it really wasn't meant to go anywhere else. But uh, the story, uh, which I actually did sell to Apex Magazine, was really popular, and I, I got a lot of questions about the Branch Davidians and David Koresh and, and this thing in the, the past that I refer to as the breaking of the world. So uh, there was a local writer here named Sarah Larson who bugged me about it constantly. And eventually, because I kept getting asked about that, um, my subconscious just kind of started naturally working on ideas for it. So... My initial idea was that I would just do a small novella on the subject and that the Branch Davidians would be a small part of it. Uh, but I started doing research and I really was blown away by the difference between what I imagined that standoff to be from the outside and what it really was, you know, 20 plus years later. That research led to more research, and I kind of fell down the rabbit hole. And before I knew it, I wanted to write a whole book about this. So it, so for me, it started with a short story that then became an idea for a novella that then turned into a novel. Um, that was probably a two-year process. That's the creative side of it. On the publishing side of it, I finished the book. Uh, had some different professionals that I know look at it, uh, made some, some revisions based on that, started shopping uh, agents and um, also talking since I've, I've worked in uh, the industry for a little bit with some of the different editors that I know at different houses. Um, it's a tough book to sell because it is a book uh, about a very adult subject that has young adult protagonists. So it's what's called a crossover, which means it's supposed to be a book that that an, a grown-up would really enjoy, but that you could hand it to a teenager and, and they could read it too. Um, but that 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 from a market point of view, it, it, it's a it's a difficult book to sell. So I got a lot of answers along the way that were, I really love this, but I don't know how to sell it. The book itself went through uh, the, uh, the the process 
uh, in New York with several publishers. There were a couple of publishers that almost bought it and then didn't. And then um, the whole while, uh, Jason Sizemore, uh, who's the uh, head of Apex uh, Books, kind of quietly was courting me to, to, to bring the book over to him. So he had gotten to see an early draft and really wanted it and kind of slowly brought me over into his camp. The commercial side of this, I would say, uh, add another two years. You kind of answered the, what I was going to uh, segue into is that it's not, not what would you call a usual uh, suspect. Um, the idea is, is really novel. So what my next question would be is that how does your creative process work? Um, are you um, plotting everything uh, in advance um, or do you have the, the idea and kind of uh, discover where the story goes as you write it? Or something in between. Well, uh, you know what you said about it being a fairly kind of novel book. Um, you know, going back to the market stuff, that that's what makes it. You know, that's 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 what makes it difficult to pitch. A lot of houses want um, uh, what they would call comps or comparable works, and this is definitely a difficult book to find comps to. As far as why I chose uh, to do this kind of crossover for the book, uh, which is essentially a book for adults that also could be a book for teens. Um, in my research for the book, I had a lot prior to re prior to researching the Branch Davidians, um, I had more of an outside perspective of our government's perspective and the FBI's perspective. And as, as I read and researched uh, to try and learn more about the Branch Davidians and understand them, I actually found that um, I had a lot of difficulty understanding decisions that our government made during the standoff. And, you know, I, 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 was ho I wanted to find a perspective for the book that, that I felt comfortable with, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, working from a zone where you feel you belong. Um, so I would not feel comfortable writing a book um, from the perspective of a true believer, somebody who believed what David Koresh believed. Um, and at the same time, I didn't feel comfortable with our government's actions in the standoff. And so while I was researching, I found that the, um, the, the people who came to this church from around the world, and they were lawyers and, and, and nurses and even retired police officers, um, they brought their families with them. And it occurred to me that the, the kind of perfect point of view for a book like this would be the point of view of a teenager. Um, so, uh, the, the story is told from the perspective of three teenagers who are non-believers, but were dragged to the church by their born again parents. So they're in a position to question, uh, the government's role and the church's role in the standoff. They're kind of a neutral ground that I can kind of look at the whole thing from. As far as, um, process goes. Um, this novel was 
a little bit different probably than my normal process because uh, half of it is rooted pretty heavily in existing history. Um, so um, what I really did was, uh, as I was doing research, I was kind of just jotting down a lot of ideas and looking for uh, a form to kind of develop from that. Um, generally speaking, I usually have a really strong idea where a story is going to start and where it takes off. I have a pretty good idea of some main beats that I want to hit along the way, and I know how it's going to end. Um, the rest is kind of a dance for me. Um, there are people who are really heavy structural writers and they want to outline everything. If I outline too much, it kind of kills the joy of writing it for me. Um, at the same time, if I don't outline at all, I just kind of chase my tail and meander. So for me, it's, I'm trying to find a really nice balance between, um, having a really good idea where I'm going, but not too good an idea. You talked about perspective and point of view and, uh, what I really loved about the book is, uh, is that it, uh, it's really heavily relied on uh, two things that uh, I enjoy tremendously. One is uh, opening in medias res. I enjoy trying to figure out what's happening. I, I love the, the mental exercise of, of going back, who's, who's this person, what was his name. And the other is, uh, is first person uh, narratives. Um, so do you, uh, do you find that it's easier to write in, in, a, in a first person voice or, or is it uh, more easy to, to be a little bit detached from the character? Uh, uh, I, I feel like it's a little bit of both. Um, I love in media res too. So um, I would be lying if I didn't say that almost everything I write has an in media res open. Um, I love being given the dots and needing to connect them as I go along. So, um, you know, in my mind for this particular project, these people um, at this church did not expect to have um, over a hundred armed, body armored um, law enforcement agents storm their church with military helicopters flying over. And in media res, was a way that I could um, communicate that feeling. Uh, what I really like uh, uh, is that it, it starts with the action and then how you could uh, keep up the pace even when slowing things down. And I also enjoyed that uh, the metaphor of the whole situation uh, represents the that teenage angst against the parents and the establishment and uh, just not finding their pay, uh, place in the world, and and I think the, the whole story and the situation is a is a is a great metaphor for that. You said that you've do, done a lot of uh, research. Can you tell a, a little bit of of how much of that research, how much of that factual um, uh, uh, information uh, is contained within the book, and how much of it, uh, of it is is kind of taking off? Uh, the first half of the book. Uh, deals uh, pretty heavily with uh, historic events. Um, for anybody listening who's not familiar with the Branch Davidians or David Koresh or the standoff in Waco, Texas, 
Um, essentially, David Koresh was the pastor of a church in Waco, Texas, and um, the uh, ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, obtained a search warrant uh, to search his premises for illegal weapons. Um, there are a lot of questions as to why the ATF chose to do this, but rather than simply uh, arrest David Koresh uh, himself and serve the warrant, um, they chose to do uh, what I can only call a, a shock and awe show of military-level force storming the church. Um, the church itself was uh, in Waco, Texas, kind of the, the plains of Texas. So um, uh, a gun fight ensued in the midst of serving the search, war the search warrant. Um, there's a lot of argument over who shot first. Uh, but when the dust cleared, there were six church members dead and four ATF agents dead. And a 51-day standoff uh, followed uh, this exchange of gunfire. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the focus of the book. Now, as far as where the book is historically accurate and where it uh, is taking liberties, um, it, it kind of starts out very accurate and slowly moves away from history. Uh, the main character is not based on a real person. Uh, there's actually three teenagers. They're kind of a trinity of non-believers uh, that, are, that are friends in this book. And they're, they're, they're all complete uh, fictional constructions uh, for, for the sake of the book. Um, a lot of the other people that you meet in, in the book are either direct historical figures or they're amalgamations, combinations of direct historical figures. I did make a decision early on in this book, uh, in writing it. Uh, to me, I felt that David Koresh, who was the leader of the church, um, that he was very much a public figure, and so I used his name. Um, and my research actually started with the idea of trying to portray him accurately. Uh, everybody else in the church, I've changed their names. Uh, you know, these were private people who were trying to find religious answers. And if if you if you knew the standoff really well you would recognize who these people are. But, uh, you know, I, I felt like I should change their names and give them their privacy. And what about the genre backdrop? Because the book isn't, uh, and I, I don't want to spoil it, and I really encourage everybody to, to buy it and read it. How did the, the, the genre backdrop uh, came around, the, the kind of the culmination of the, of the story that uh, kind of cuts off in a cliffhangery way, and because I would love to read uh, what happens next. Yeah, it, it, it's really tough. Uh, this is another marketing aspect to to discuss. The first half of the book is really easy. If you are interested in in the subject, you kind of know what you're getting into. There's going to be a standoff between a church and law enforcement that becomes deadly. It's it's a kind of a pot boiler horror thriller kind of thing, if you like The Mist or I Am Legend, where you have people kind of trapped in a, a difficult situation, you're going to really like it. 
Um, but the book about halfway through starts slowly diverting in, in, in a different direction. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the hand-wringing part is how much of that do you reveal? The, the short story that started this was a post-apocalyptic story. And um, as, I, as my interest in this historic event grew, the, the question in my mind of how to, to draw those two things together uh, became more and more present in my mind. When, uh, when people read the short story, like I said, they, they had a lot of questions to ask about uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and, and this event that had happened in the past called The Breaking of the World. The title of the book is obviously the breaking of, or breaking the world. The tagline that we've we've discussed for the book is that David Koresh predicted the end of the world. What if he was right? That's kind of what what led in that direction. I know I'm kind of teasing it. Um, I'm trying not to spoil it too much. Um, as far as a follow up, yeah, you can you can uh, absolutely tell that there's there's. Uh, you know, a, a follow-up prepared for this. So, as a matter of fact, I was in Detroit at um, uh, Confusion with Jason Sizemore and Leslie Connor, and uh, I got hit hard with that question as far as what would happen and, um, you know, w- where I would see this going as a series. So, and uh, uh, the the next book is already plotted out. Finishing off the the interview with a uh, with some silly questions. Sure. Uh, keeping uh, the science fiction theme going. If you would be asked to um, put one book on a spaceship that uh, that supposed to represent humanity, which which book would you would you put and why? I would put the complete works of William Shakespeare uh, on, on that ship. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, there's kind of a, a literary side and a, a genre side, um, and, and they're both equal in my heart. Uh, but if you had to pick one book uh, to, uh, to send, I, I can't think of one that better encapsulates all of the wonder and horror of humanity than, than, uh, than Shakespeare more and more science fiction properties um, in, in literature are turning into uh, miniseries. How do you think that changes the, the landscape and the, and the options for, uh, for writers? Looking at the media landscape right now, I think there's some tremendous opportunities, especially with things like um, Netflix uh, and Hulu and Amazon, um, you know, really jumping into the space and you know i i'm thinking back to my absolute loves of last year and i i absolutely adored westworld on hbo and i was blown away by the handmaid's tale on hulu coming up this year uh some some terrific genre writers are uh getting you know getting the opportunity to see their work in in uh uh, on the big screen and on the small screen, uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation is coming out, and I'm I'm incredibly excited about uh, th- that movie. It's a terrific book. Uh, John Scalzi's Old Man's War is headed to Netflix, which is terrific. I can't wait to see it. 
and uh, Laird, Laird Barron. Um, I just saw a, a trailer for uh, a movie based upon one of his novellas. Uh, so, you know, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of writers that have put in time in science fiction and fantasy and horror suddenly seeing uh, their work being taken really seriously in the media landscape. So, so it's exciting to me. And as far as for, for, for new writers, you know, the wonderful thing about writing in science fiction, uh, fantasy or horror thrillers, those genres is the fact that, uh, if you write, if you write it and it's good, somebody's going to find it. If your book's published, then, you know, there are, there are people actively looking for uh, new, uh, new IP, new intellectual property to turn into shows uh, for these new venues. And so I, I think it's a really exciting time for that. For the final question, what's the one thing that you think new, new writers should do besides writing? And what's the one thing that they should absolutely uh, at all costs? avoid beyond writing what you should be doing is reading and networking with other writers and i don't mean networking with other writers from the point of view of uh trying to find some mechanism to get your work to somebody not in a transactional sense i mean networking to find uh, a family of people who want to do the same thing you want to do and who are going to be there Uh, to support you and, and root for you and, and be there for you. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's hugely important. I do a lot of um, writing workshops at different uh, conferences, and I have lost count of how many people that I have met who have some intriguing idea for a book, um, and the thing holding them up from writing it is the belief that they need to be plotting out multiple books ahead of themselves and and coming up with some elaborate structure um, for book five and book six. And it, it, it's so difficult to write a novel that trying to trying to you know look beyond the horizon like that just really is almost always going to guarantee that it never happens. Uh, as a matter of fact, if if I had a single piece of advice to give writers about writing, it would be um, don't try and write the novel first. Try and write short stories first. Uh, and there, there are people who would argue that with me and argue that they're two different skills. Um, but one of the great benefits of a short story is that it's a manageable piece of work. Um, and when you hand it to somebody and they tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, the, the process of learning accelerates because it's not going to take you five years to write that short story. Um, Ray Bradbury was famous for saying, uh, write a short story a week for a year, and I defy you to not be published. It's, it's impossible for you to write 52 bad stories. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to put your website and your social media in the in the blog post and in the, in the show notes. Anything else the the audience might be uh, might be interested in where where they can find you? Breaking the World was based on 
the, the foundation for the book is the 51-day standoff between the Branch Davidian Church and um, the U.S. government. And this year is the 25th anniversary of that standoff. So um, the standoff actually began on February 28th, 1993. And so 25 years later, this February 28th, uh, we're going to debut the cover for the novel, and uh, Apex will open it up for pre-orders. And then in April, April 19th is the end of the uh, the standoff. Uh, that's when the book will release. Look for that at apexbookcompany.com. And I encourage uh, everybody to to say hi on social media and uh, and uh, network. Uh, as you said, thank you again so much for, for this interview. Well, well thank you very much. I, I, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.